One of them, which I wish I had picked this up because I would love this NFT, is one of them, you get to go on a $10,000 shopping spree at his wine store once every year. (laughs) And he comes with you. He comes with you. So he can be like, hey, this is a good wine. You should buy a case of this. Oh, do you like these? What kind of wine do you like? Because he's a big wine guy. Um, He started Wine Library TV. So can you imagine just every year like, hey, Gary, are we hitting up the wine store? Yeah. Bogdan, Brian, and their guests are not registered investment advisors. Nothing discussed today should be relied on for investment decisions, nor is it investment advice. This show is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please work directly with an investment professional. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Safari Podcast, where we dance under the moonlight, becoming one with the crypto critters and summoning those DeFi demigods to rain down their treasured tokens. Nice. My name is Bogdan, and as always, I have Brian here with me. How's it going, Brian? It's going well. I liked your intro. It was very, uh, very spiritual. Yeah. Very um, tribal. I'm feeling very tribal and spiritual this week. Yeah, I'm feeling it too now all of a sudden. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, All right. So shall we jump into the news? It's been a quiet week for news, but I do have a few little tidbits. Yeah, I feel like it has been really quiet. I mean, everything's been dominated by Elon Musk buying Twitter. And so that seems to be the the topic every day, which has been a a treasure trove of of new (laughs) insights and memes and funny uh, uh, freak outs and responses. It's pretty interesting what's going on, but we won't get into that today. But other than that, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot going on in the whole crypto world, um, yeah. as far as I can tell. But what do you got for us? Yeah, so I, I just have a few small developments, which, you know, someday will turn into big developments, but I feel like it's good to mention them here first. So the first one is that Stripe actually launched its first crypto native feature called Connect. So they were talking about how they want to, they're going to focus more on Web3, on decentralized finance, all of that. They finally launched it and they actually started with Twitter as one of the first users of this. So now people who create on Twitter can actually get paid in USDC now, which is really interesting. Oh, okay. That is interesting. Are people preferring that? Do you think people prefer that over regular... USD? I think it depends. So if you're in the United States, maybe you prefer just straight up US Uh, dollars. But maybe if you're in another country, you don't want to get charged, you know, transfer fees, Mm -hmm. you know, foreign exchange fees. So maybe you would take USDC. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, if your uh, home country currency is kind of uh, unstable. Yeah. Or not very valuable at, at the time, then yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. Uh, another one here is that OpenSea has acquired this NFT marketplace aggregator called Gem. Yeah, I've never, yeah. yeah, I've never used Gem, so I can't really speak to this firsthand. But basically, Gem allows users to buy NFTs in batches. So this is really for more like professional NFT users, people who treat NFTs kind of like stocks or commodities and buy and sell them in batches, not 
collectors, obviously. Uh, so this will be an integration with OpenSea, but they're still going to let Gem continue operating independently. So buying in batches. So, you know, I, I'm not an NFT guy, as you know. So obviously you have to buy one at a time when you make those transactions, right? Yeah. So like for if I'm buying a certain token, I can say, I want this many tokens. And so you can't do that with NFTs. Apparently you can if you use gem. So, <laughs> well, okay, yes. So yeah, so if you're just on OpenSea on just its mm -hmm. normal interface, I have to, I would have to go and let's say I want to buy, you know, 10 sparks from the Fiat Lux NFT collection. I would have to literally go in and purchase each one individually. And I'm paying gas fees for uh, every single transaction. Right, right. What, yeah, what Gem lets you do is I can say, hey, I want to buy these 10. And it will write that transaction to the blockchain as just one in one go, meaning I'm only paying gas fees on that one transaction. Uh, okay, that, that makes sense. Okay, cool. So pretty cool. And then the last one, which this one does touch home and is personal, is have you heard of V Friends 2? V? V is V Friends? No, no. So are you familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk? I am familiar with him. Yeah. So Gary Vaynerchuk, also known as Gary V, launched his NFT about a year ago. It was called V Friends, and it was 10,000 mm -hmm. NFTs that had a ton of utility. And he was really the first one to introduce real world utility to the NFT space. Meaning if you bought this NFT, for instance, you could go play basketball with Gary. If you buy this other NFT, then uh, three times a year, you can go watch the Knicks with him courtside. If you buy this other NFT, you get a free ticket to his conference. So introducing real world benefits that all have to do around him because it's for his fan base, obviously. Right. Um, one of them, which I wish I had picked this up because I would love this NFT, is one of them, you get to go on a $10,000 shopping spree at his wine store once every year. <laughs> oh, and wow. he comes with you. He comes yeah. with you. So he can be like, hey, this is a good wine. You should buy a case of this. Oh, do you like these? What kind of wine do you like? Because he's a very big wine guy. Um, he started Wine Library TV. So can you imagine just every year like, hey, Gary, are we hitting up the wine store? Again? Yeah. Do you know uh, where is his wine store located? Do you know, is it online? Is it actual brick and mortar? Uh, so he has both. So he has uh, his claim to fame is he started as a brick and mortar. It was his dad's little store in Jersey, and he built it into one of the first online wine stores before. This is like in the 90s. Right. Before right. It was cool to have an online store. So he's a wine, an internet wine baron. He is. He is. So he built that business from $3 million locally in Jersey to $69 million. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I don't really know much about him. I know um, he's a popular guy, influencer, uh, mentioned a lot. He, he doesn't do stock investing or stuff like that. He is much more into entrepreneurship, small business, you know, brands, social media, things like that. His books are actually very good. So a book I recommend is called Crushing It. Um, but anyways, his first collection was V Friends and it was limited to 10,000 units. This is his follow-up collection called V Friends 2. And it's actually 55,000 NFTs that are going to have their own different utilities and stuff like that. And the idea here is the reason he's making it 55,000 is so that more people can get into the uh, community because at 10,000, he literally has millions of followers. So 
it became very expensive. He priced out a bunch of people. He's like, I'm going to make this one cheap. So it was 0.3 of an Ethereum to buy one of these. And full disclosure, I purchased one. All right. I am a V friend. Two. Two. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I mean, if he's giving out like real awards that have to do with his time and, some t- and also his money, it looks like he can't mint that many and be at a basketball game with a different person like every night exactly you know, or yeah you know, there's only so much time in the day for, for exactly your- so the idea behind this collection is he's creating kind of a disney style franchise for kids so all of the nfts are these little cartoon characters and he's going to be building out like books uh movies tv shows all sorts of stuff uh, the first thing that's being built out is actually a trading card game. So he's like, I want to infiltrate elementary schools. You know, like I want people, I want these kids to be playing with my cards the way that people used to play with Pokemon back in the day. Um, so very ambitious goal. I think that's like bold, but I, I love the uh, the bravado. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you reach for the star, reach for the moon, you might grab a star, however that saying goes. But uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, good for him. Well, I'm glad you got one. And uh, what do, what do you get when you with yours? The one you bought. Uh, I get a pack of the trading cards, and then uh, other benefits down the line. So, I decided to jump on this, especially after our discussion of Moonbirds last week. I was like, you know what? I'm I'm just gonna jump in and let's see what happens. So, I'm along for the ride. I'll yeah. bring you guys along for the ride with. And me. it was a cheaper um, barrier to entry, as you mentioned. So it's yeah. You know, why not give it a shot? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. So that's what I have in terms of news for my side. What what do you have for us? Yeah, I've got a couple a couple tidbits here. Uh, one NFT related, and uh, it has to do with the Board Ape Yacht Club. Ooh. Yeah, I was reading that they were recently hacked. Well, yes, they were hacked. <laughs> Did you read about that? I I heard about this. Yeah, go go uh, ahead. Go. So apparently, someone created a fraudulent website, modeled after their real website then hacked their Instagram account and then started sending links to it saying they were, if you clicked on the link and connected your wallet, you could mint land for their upcoming um, other side meta project that I guess is going to be launching this week or next. And so uh, a few people did bought it or bit the, uh, the hook. And when they connected their wallets, they had their uh, bored apes and mutant apes taken out of their accounts oh that's so brutal can you imagine i you know not really it's just it's gotta be gotta really sting um so apparently there was uh 54 uh apes of different varieties taken or some of them could have been moved out of their accounts just for security purposes after they heard about the hack but just those 54 were worth like 13.7 million dollars that's so crazy i mean like That's the thing is if I had a board ape, I think I would have sold it already because I would just be so scared of losing it, you know? <laughs> it's like holding it in the corner. Never, never like, lose my ape, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, you know, tough break. And, uh, you know, we've talked about some hacking incidents in the past, and this one just kind of caught my eye because, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a pretty, uh, I wouldn't say creative, but it was a definitely, a, a, you know, a well-planned out attack. I mean, they built a fake website, hacked their Instagram, and, uh, and I guess also the thing is, so these are basically, you know, one of one or whatever their, 
their minting status is, right? So what are you going to do with them afterwards? Like it, 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 people are going to track them. They're going to know they're out there. So when you take NFTs, it seems different than taking someone's tokens. Yeah, that that's actually a very good point. So maybe there is a way for them to recover these board apes. I'm not sure yeah. because yeah, it is kind of like if you were to steal the Mona Lisa, yeah. you can't sell the Mona Lisa because yeah. everybody's like, hey, I know this is exactly. Stolen. You can't just put it out on on the open market on eBay. Uh, so it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. It seems like a lot of work to take something that you really can't do much with unless you just happen to be a really big ape fan and you just want to. Well, what I'm wondering is, would you be able to sell that ape to someone who doesn't know which apes got hacked, right? So if maybe you put it up on OpenSea for a cheaper price and then someone buys it and you get that money, it doesn't matter if they, if, you know, Board Ape Yacht Club says, hey, that was a stolen ape, please give it back to the original owner. It's like, no, I already paid for this, right? Yeah. Like. Go talk to the guy I paid this this money to. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see uh, how this is going to play out and, and what this means for the NFT community. I mean, uh, obviously, there's been a lot of nefarious stuff happening, but these are like some high-profile NFTs. It seems like, yeah, anything, we'll see. Uh, but anyway, stolen apes, um, it's happening. Yeah, big, news, big news. Yep. Uh, also, I was reading that uh, Fidelity is going to offer a Bitcoin investment option in their 401ks. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The first uh, first 401k to offer that. That's big. Yeah, that is big. Um, it's going to be up to the employer to, uh, to opt into this program. And wow. if they do, then there's only a certain limit of exposure you can have to Bitcoin. So there's going to be a couple of hurdles. Your, your employer has. That's to not cool. I, I disagree with this. I really get annoyed when an employer gets to choose what type of 401k plan you can invest into. So like if I want to do all small company stocks, why can't I do that? Sometimes it doesn't let you do that and it's like it's not up to my employer to choose my financial future yeah absolutely um i don't know what there if there's different costs associated to the employer but i had a fidelity account and i could have pretty much anything i wanted you know in it uh so they're pretty good about that but i wonder if maybe there is some like premiums or fees depending on how you want to structure and what you want to offer in the 401ks probably probably but uh, yeah it's pretty cool um they can't put more than 20 percent into bitcoin so there is some limits there, which might be a good thing. I don't think you want to have your whole 401k in Bitcoin, or maybe you do. But once again, it should be your choice. It should be my choice, Brian. Choice. Yeah, <laughs> so that's that's pretty cool. And uh, the next time I get a Fidelity 401k offered, I'm going to be taking that 20% and uh, bitting it up. You're, you're going to do that? You would do 20% into Bitcoin? Oh, for sure. Really? Wow. Yeah, I'm brazen. I, I would not. I actually am. I am a Bitcoin bear. I'm, I'm an ETH boy. <laughs> well, all right. Um, yeah, I mean, hey, we're talking long-term. Who knows? We know the supply is finite. I think it's just going to keep going up. And 20%, why not, man? Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so that's the, the 401k news. And according to a Google trend study, Shiba Inu is the most popular crypto in the UK right now. Really? Yeah. Huh. Is that, did you hear about how Shiba Inu is uh, creating some kind of new something, something? 
Yeah. yeah, they've had a bunch of stuff on their, their roadmap. Um, they were creating their own metaverse, their own exchange. Well, they have a, a Shiba swap, which is a swapping of NFTs. But yeah, they were creating their own blockchain, their own metaverse. Uh, they got a bunch of stuff that moves them past just like this meme token into some actual utility. Uh, so uh, they've actually had some pretty good bumps in their price recently from some news about that. But yeah, it's a real project now. It started off as a kind of a joke but it's actually got some real utility. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i trying to find the news that came out about Shiba. Yeah, know, I did what they're see. doing. I, I saw it floating around in my news feeds, but uh, I can't. Oh, here we go. So Shiba Inu launches the burning portal. Oh, yeah, to, right. To reward SHIB token holders. And basically, and I have no idea what this means. So I'm just I'm just telling you it. You can burn the tokens, the Shiba Inu tokens, and in exchange, you receive burnt SHIB. And then that token pays rewards in Ryoshi tokens. So, like, I don't know what that means. Maybe you do. Okay. I, actually, I do know what that means. Um, <laughs> not embarrassingly, but so basically, a lot of these um, uh, community driven tokens, they just mint a ton of them, like in the quadrillion sometimes. And so the whole idea is they create these burn mechanisms to slowly burn off that supply so their market cap can go up and the, the tokens can be worth more in the long run. And so once you do that, what you're getting back is a token that you can use to buy their NFTs. Oh, okay. Yeah, because they have an NFT market as well. But um, when they first came out, you could only use another, one of their other tokens to buy the NFT. And so that was kind of how they burnt um burnt Shiba Inu coins. Interesting. Give them yeah. money, they burn it, take them out of the supply, and then you get this other token back that you can use to buy their NFT. Interesting. So I guess there's no advantage to holding SHIB token. It would be better to have this new token rather than holding SHIB because I imagine if everybody burns their SHIB, yes, there's less Shiba Inu, Inu tokens, but then what can you do with it? If you're the only one left in that ecosystem and everyone's moved on to Ryoshi or whatever it is is that uh, is that true or no well i mean yeah the, 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 i don't think they're ever going to burn that many where you're going to be the only one left holding the the last shiba inu there's just so <laughs> many of them out there you know what i mean and so they, they have probably a burn target because at the end of the day they're trying to get to maybe that one penny mark eventually you know that seems to be the goal for for a lot of these community driven tokens it just put a ton out there and, you know, they want to be like Dogecoin, you know, and so uh, they'll probably have like a, a cap on how many they burn and, until they feel like, okay, that's enough. It's all just about limiting that huge, huge uh, circulating supply. Mm, okay. Yeah. It says here that 8 billion Shiba Inu tokens were burned in the first 24 hours. Yeah. So, and there's and how many, does it say how many are left? No, it doesn't. Yeah. There's, there's a lot left. There's a lot left. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, there, there's going to be some around. Let me okay. find the last person. I got the last Shiba. I've got the last Shiba Inu token. It's so valuable. Yeah. So yeah. But yeah, it's cool. Interesting. Okay. All right. Shall we move on to listener questions? Indeed. All right. So once again, guys, if you guys have any listener questions, you can always write to us at questions at cryptosafari.us and that is how you can get your question answered on the podcast so thank you guys for those of you who are writing in your questions i love getting these and answering them so our first question here is from ray who would like to know 
what are the trade-offs of staking crypto with a centralized exchange versus a decentralized protocol like urine finance? Mm. So I am guessing that Ray listened to our urine finance episode and is asking, you know, what's the catch? Ray, um, like a smart man. Yeah. So do you want to do you want to give a first go at this? What's your uh, take? Yeah, I'll take a stab. I mean, we've talked about the difference between centralized and decentralized exchanges on other levels. And, uh, you know, the same kind of trade offs apply for staking. And the biggest thing is, is with the centralized exchanges, there are they are effectively the custodian of your uh, the keys to your wallet. So they own the keys to your wallet and they manage it for you. And for that reason, a lot of people don't like centralized exchanges because they're that saying, if it's not your keys, it's not your coins. Uh, also, when you're staking them, uh, these centralized exchanges, I'm not sure exactly all of them or some of them or what percentage, but they usually skim some off the top and put that in their pockets and give you the rest. And so uh, I don't know what those values are, but that is a common practice. Also, some of these tokens have the reflections we talked about, which is basically a dividend payment. A lot of times you don't get those either on centralized exchanges. So there are some definite drawbacks. One of the positive things, it is an easy barrier to entry for most people. If you're a beginner and you wanna just get some coins and stake it, that's probably the best way to go. A lot of times these uh, exchanges are insured in case there is some risk there. So there is some positives. Um, in terms of the decentralized option, you, know, it, it, you own the keys, you own the coins, you have complete control over your wallet. And you have a little more freedom there, I think. And so, uh, you know, the only drawback, well, one of the only drawbacks is it can be very hard to navigate the uh, decentralized exchange uh, platforms. Some of them like are more easy to use, like uh, Sushi Swap, but some of them are way more difficult. And also, if you have problems, there's no one really there you can reach out to and say, hey, I'm having these issues. I mean, there's Reddit, uh, you know, boards or chat rooms or whatever, you can get some advice, but there's no one you can reach out to at that exchange and say, I'm having a problem. Yeah, that, that is very well said. I think you covered it really well. The only thing that I would add to this, Ray, is that the centralized exchanges, yes, like Brian said, do take some off of the top, meaning you're not going to get quite as high returns, but they do offer that security of having insurance. And then also it's much, much more well vetted than the decentralized exchanges. So when you put your tokens into a urine finance, it is sending your, your tokens and your money around to different places in order to get you that those returns, but you don't know where it's sending those coins to, meaning it could send them to bad actors, to people who default on their loans. When you stake coins, you're essentially loaning your money to others to then make more money and then give you back interest on it. You don't know who those people are. If you stake, for example, on BlockFi, they only have a small set of companies that they loan that out to. And those companies have AAA ratings in terms of credit. They're very stable. They have a track record of doing things properly. So it's a much safer way of staking and earning returns on your coins. Yes, that's a, that's a really good point. That kind of, you know, touches on that it's good for beginners kind of, uh, you know, reason for doing it. Another thing to think about too, and this is my, maybe more of a philosophical thing, but you know, the more you stake on centralized exchanges, the more centralization you have for that blockchain and the uh, blockchains are staking on. And so if you really want to be part of the uh, decentralized philosophy, then it makes sense to go with obviously a decentralized exchange. So there is that as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Very good question, Ray. Hopefully that answers it for you. Uh, you can try both. I mean, I use both BlockFi and I use Yearn Finance. So I definitely put larger amounts of money in BlockFi where it's a little bit more safe. And then Yearn Finance, I will put in smaller amounts for some of my more obscure tokens. So uh, our next question here is from Kelly. Kelly would like to know how many cryptocurrencies do you hold and how do you avoid getting overwhelmed by all the choices out there? Mm, that is a good one. And I mean, first of all, PTAC. <laughs> PTAC, I was going to say that, and we'll get into that one later. But, um, you know, right now, you know, I don't really like to talk about personal crypto holdings too much. Um, you know, I've been invested in more in the past. I seem to have um, kind of slimmed down my holdings a lot this last year. Can you give us ballpark? So you don't have to mention which coins right, you, you right. have in particular, but like ballpark, what does it mean? Did you have 50 and now you're down to 20 or was it like- No, 10, yeah, 10? it wasn't quite that high. So I think at the, you know, one point it was more like 15 and now I'm down to like 10. Okay. Maybe okay. eight, I think. Um, I've got a, a, a hot wallet that has some stuff. Yeah, so yeah, about eight to 10. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I have also done a little bit more consolidation if you will i but not much so i think i used to have like eight or nine different tokens and now i have about like six or seven yeah. so there's only a few that i like backed out of which were really really obscure ones that was like just kind of taking for a test drive and seeing what happens yeah. um but yeah to to your question kelly of how do you avoid getting overwhelmed by all the choices out there so there is the ptac method which we'll get into here in a second but the other way that i like to say is how much time do you want to dedicate to this so if you don't want to dedicate a ton of time i say for the ultimate ultimate beginner and i actually gave this advice to my wife which is just put some money in ethereum like nothing else. If you want to get crazy, put some money in Ethereum and Solana maybe, but like just choose the the big ones, the stable yeah. ones that, you know, will be around for a long time, have already gained so much network effect. You're not going to get 10x gains, but you're also pretty safe with your money. And then the more adventurous you get, the more kind of weird cryptocurrencies you can you know, put money into. So you start with your Ethereum's and your Bitcoins. And then let's say a year from now, you're like, hey, I'm getting a little more crypto curious. I'm going to explore, you know, some Solana, some Avalanche, some Polygon, some, uh, some DAI, whatever it is. And then little by little, you can grow your collection. Yeah, you know, I like that. And that's basically how I started when I first got involved. I had a Coinbase account and I just saw like, oh, this seems to be pumping right now. Let me buy a little bit of that. And this seems to be doing something to buy a little bit of that. And I didn't really do a ton of research. I was just looking at charts and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, of course, the top 10, I wanted to have a little bit of each one of those. And I think that's a good place to start. So just look at the top 10 ranking, take a look at them and, you know, maybe spread it around if you want. Um, and also, I think, you know, we actually started to really enjoy like looking at different projects and it's kind of, it's fun for us. So if you're feeling overwhelmed and you're not enjoying it, then you're probably doing too much or, uh, you know, maybe it's time to take a step back. So it should be fun. I think discovering new projects. And so if you're feeling overwhelmed then maybe just stick to like top 10, top five until you're feeling like you're really excited to learn about this stuff. Cause there is a ton of projects out there and it's pretty crazy. I don't know. How many do you think there are right now? 
Uh, last time I checked, there are over 8,000 different coins. Yeah, that seems kind of small, you know, when it was last time you checked. <laughs> There's probably more. I yeah. mean, I, I checked a long time ago. This is like six months ago, you know, <laughs> which in crypto land is nothing. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's, I wouldn't say doubled, but I mean, it's just like every time I like, I look up some news or something, it's just like, this is launching, this is launching and like all the NFT projects. It's it's pretty crazy. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there and yeah. And also I think, you know, look for stuff that you're interested in. You know, if you have something that you you care about or some piece of technology you like, or maybe an influencer like Gary Vee, then like, you know, use that to, to kind of drive you in different directions. Yeah. My, be- my best advice for this is always start smaller than what you want to do. So if you're like, I'm going to invest in 10, maybe invest in five, you know, whatever it is, whatever your comfort zone is. Yeah. All right. Great questions, you guys. Remember, if you want to get your questions answered, it is our uh, email is questions at cryptosafari.us. So check us out there. Now let's jump into our two tokens for this week. So before we jump in, we kind of hinted at this before, but our framework for evaluating any token is PTAC plus T. That's P-T-A-C plus T. So that stands for purpose, team, advantage, community, and then tokenomics. So that is how we evaluate tokens. And that's how we're going to go through both of these today. So because I started last week, Brian, I'm going to send it over to you first this time. Thank you very much for that. Hey, by the way, PTAC can be used to evaluate any decision you're making, whether it's what you want to make for breakfast or where you want to go for dinner or who you want to date. Uh, maybe it's buying an online purchase. I think it can be applied just about everything. It it takes me so long to get through Trader Joe's, let me tell you, because I'm like, oh, these sausages. Well, I mean, what's their purpose? What's the purpose? Who's the team behind these exactly. sausages? What advantage does this sausage have over this sausage? Exactly. And I'm going through this and I'm like, I look around me and someone grabs them. I'm like, the community likes this sausage. Boom. I yeah. will take them. There we go. See you <laughs> All right. So yeah, I'll jump in, get started. And um, I've got a pretty interesting one today. I think you're going to like it. And it actually is pretty funny because last week uh, you did sand. And yeah. I, had, I, had, I had a good time every time you, you mentioned you're buying sand. Uh, and this week I'm doing something called H2O coin. Oh, interesting. I like yeah, it. Yeah. So I'm countering your, your, your sand with water. I love it. You see I how, I drink some, how I did that? I'll drink some H2O to that. I'm going to drink some wine to that. There's, there's water in it. So here we go. So here's a, the overview. And I always like to start this way because it gives you a little bit of their marketing speak. And so this project is built around solving water scarcity through blockchain technology. Oh, wow. I like How, that. you may ask? Uh, yeah. So uh, we'll get into that. And their mission is to increase water access globally at a reduced cost. And so I'm not sure if you know this, and I've learned, I've, I've heard about water scarcity and learning about this project. I got some numbers. So basically, uh, water scarcity affects 30% of the world's population. Meaning mm. 30% of the people um, have water issues, either getting it uh, or getting clean water, some sort of issue. And right now, the global funding gap uh, for the amount of projects they need and the amount of investment is coming in. By 2030, it might be as much as $18 trillion of, of shortfall. Oh, wow. 
to keep up with the growth of populations and the scarcity issues. And so the purpose behind this coin is basically to increase investment in water infrastructure projects through uh, the securitization and tokenization of water as a commodity. And so what they're trying to do is they're raising money with these coins and you can either invest um, you know, as little as $10 or up to a several million dollars to do this. And then you get this water security certificate and they take that money and they start investing in different water projects. And then you start getting money back when it starts producing. And so, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, it, it, we'll see what, how this works out for them, but you know, the water infrastructure projects are like, you know, desalinization plants, um, wastewater plants, uh, surface water treatment, stuff like that. So in a way, this is one way for me to invest, to become literally an investor in water projects. And then when those water projects are successful, I get a return on my investment. Yes, that's right. And there's also a staking component too that we'll get into. And so I'm not really sure exactly how soon you start getting money back. I mean, these projects obviously will take a long time. Um, that's one of the reasons why they're doing it is, is because it's really hard to um, go through all the red tape and get these projects off the ground and go through funding. And you imagine you know, how slow things work in some developing countries. So you have a lot of issues. And so the whole purpose now is basically to you know, raise funds globally and be able to deploy it faster. And part of that is built into their smart contracts that allow them to do that with a lot of, a lot of, um, without a lot of overhead. Mm. So they raise money, companies or people can invest and they take that money, they deploy it into a project and you get a certificate saying you are owner of this water project. Interesting. I like that. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? Yeah. And so that, that's the purpose. And so one of the advantages they have is, well, they're the first mover in the space. I haven't heard about anybody else who's tokenizing a water as a security um, so that's pretty cool. Um, they're also using smart contracts to manage uh, credit default risk and increase investment and uh, basically get a higher yield for their investors. Interesting. What does that mean? How, how are they using smart contracts? Or Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, and I'm still trying to kind of figure that one out. I think mostly it has to do with um, how risk is spread around. So if you imagine like if there's a lot of investors and you all want to get into one project, maybe that risk is diversified across all of the players. Mm. Also, some of the contracts are backed by uh, AA insurance companies. And oh, so okay. they have that as well. Not to mention they partners, they're partners with a bunch of banks and trusts. And so they also have that as uh, a backing source um, to these projects. Um, mm. Other than that, um, I'd imagine, you know, the credit default risks, you know, I'm not really sure how that really plays into the development of these water plants. Uh, maybe like you put some money in and the, the project starts going and then maybe they can't finish it and then they default on the money they borrowed. And so the smart contracts are a way to avoid that for some yeah. reason. Interesting. So, Very cool. Yeah. Um, and so another advantage they have is they're able to mobilize funds quicker through uh, raising money globally. So basically, instead of having to go to one bank and say, hey, we need to borrow this money. We want to build this water plant in you know, Southeast Asia or something. They can raise money from everybody, take it and then push it towards projects pretty quick. So that's pretty cool. Um, and with their whole platform, they're able to scale faster, um, you know, deal flows move quicker, uh, infrastructure deployment happens faster. And they also have raised a, uh, a lot of skill from the community for people who are, understand how to build these projects. So I guess that's more of a community thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it says it's smart track governed, which reduces risk and improves price stability. Nice.
So there we go. Um, and let's see what else here. So the team, um, it was founded by a guy named Julius Steyn, S-T-E-Y-N. Um, he's formed uh, three banks and he also created the first mobile banking app in South Africa. And wait, 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 he formed three banks? Yeah, formed three banks. Wow. And, and, yeah, he created the first mobile banking app in South Africa. Uh, and he's led the engineering on projects in Saudi Arabia and other countries. So he's got the finance, the banking side, and he understands the engineering side. You know, I'm always really impressed by individuals who can just like solve global problems like on the regular. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm trying to solve my personal problems and I'm failing at that. So this is impressive. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, you know. I wake up and I make coffee and I'm having problems. You know, this guy's solving crisis around <laughs> the world. So yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive, um, this guy. So um, in terms of the team also, they work with the world's best engineering teams, um, firms, and a bunch of young tech firms to develop these plants. And as I mentioned, um, they're also backed by AAA insurance companies. So that's kind of part of the team. Um, and also they're partnered with multiple large banks and trusts. So nice. they got a pretty good community. If you can imagine like how many people are interested in, you know, environmental issues. Um, I have a feeling this to this uh, token could be pretty popular just for that reason. Yeah. And the reason I found this is actually was pumping pretty good this last couple of weeks. And so it kind of caught my eye. Um, and so in terms of the community, <clears throat> as uh, I quick, mentioned- quick, quick question before you yeah. move on to community. How do you find which tokens are growing or pumping up? Like where, where do you go for that? Yeah, if you go to um, coinmarketcap.com, so if you go to rankings, mm. um, right above the list of rankings, there's a list, uh, another section that says biggest gainers, biggest losers. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I usually go there for some of these projects to see like what's, you know, who's gaining to see if there's something interesting. A lot of them are just, you know, they're games, they're NFT. Well, most of them are like, mostly games, NFT, stuff like that. I'm just kind of like, eh. But sometimes it'll be a cool project like this. And so that's where I go for these ones. Very cool. I, I never knew about that section of coin market cap. Yeah. Uh, Coinbase has a section as well, too. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I hope I never make the biggest losers section. <laughs> well, or the biggest gainers. You start putting on weight really fast. <laughs> you know. Um, okay. So for the community, as I mentioned, you can invest as little as 10 to several million dollars. So that means there's a lot of access for any type of person who wants to get involved in solving this water scarcity problem. Um, right now, the token is uh, only used for utility. It's not being currently invested in any projects, but once you do that, you're gonna be able to stake them. And then when you stake them, you get that digital warrant security um, that you, gets issued to you and the water uh, producing assets are purchased. So stake your coins, they give you a certificate, they take the assets and then they start the projects. Okay, interesting. Yep. So you have to keep your coins. How, how long do you have to keep your coins staked? Or is it can you pull them out at any point? Um, that is a good question. I'm not 100% sure about that one, Bogdan. Mm. Uh, it probably depends on the project, maybe. I don't know, but you'd get an income stream back. Um, so there's a pool. Uh, once a project starts, some money comes back to the pool. And so you do get some, uh, some payments while you're staking. So they fill the pool with H2O. Not sand. And then you can go splish splash in the pool. Basically. <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, and that's, that's the community. It's kind of a young uh, project, still growing. Um, so for the tokenomics, it's ranked 3,877. Uh, market cap of $6 million. 
Ooh, very price. small. Yeah, very small. Uh, the price right now is three dollars and ninety-five cents. Uh, its all-time high was eight dollars and eighty-two cents. All-time low, a dollar thirty-two. Uh, max supply is at about um, looks like ten billion co- tokens circulating. Interesting. You know what I've noticed is that when I'm looking at the all-time high, all-time low, and the current price of a lot of projects, they're all following the same trajectory. So if their all-time high was $5 right now, they're like at 2 or $3. If it was $10, they're at like 5 or $6. So I feel like the entire crypto market kind of all goes together. It's very rare to see outliers in it. Yeah, and that's true. And I mean, most of it does follow Bitcoin and Ethereum prices. And so if we're looking at a 50% drop or whatever, um, you know, in Ethereum or Bitcoin, usually that translates across the market. So, yeah, which means, hey, if you're interested, a lot of things are a half price right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. So, yeah, so that's um, H2O. I haven't read their full white paper to answer some of those questions you asked earlier, but um, I might want to get in there and kind of look at some of these, how these contracts work. So it is an interesting idea. And if you can securitize, securitize and tokenize uh, these type of projects, you can do a lot of different things. And so I've, cool. I've always wanted to be a water baron. So this, this pleases me. This fil- fulfills yeah. my evil plan to control the world. My water. That's my, uh, <laughs> my tip. Yeah. All right. Uh, for my token this week, I did one that I'm sure that most people have seen, heard about, I'm pretty certain that you have seen or heard about this token, and that is Terra. Oh yeah, there's some Terra's in the news recently too, weren't they? Yeah, they yeah. were, they were, and I will, I will get a little bit into that. They were in the news in a bad way. Yeah, but okay. they have since recovered. So <laughs> the actual uh, token for Terra is called Luna. So we might get a little confused here. Terra is the name of the cryptocurrency. Luna is the name of the actual token that you purchase. Got it. Got it. Okay. So the purpose of Terra is it is its purpose is to create a stable coin to bridge the gap between fiat currency and cryptocurrency. So for those of you who aren't familiar, a stable coin is basically pegged to a fiat currency like the US dollar, meaning if the US dollar grows in value, that cryptocurrency grows in value in the exact same proportion. That is the goal, is to say one to one with the US dollar. And you might ask, why would I use that instead of just using a US dollar? It's so that you don't have to keep transferring from US dollars to crypto and back. So you can just have a cryptocurrency that is native to crypto and works on the blockchain, and then it just stays at a US dollar amount. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So a cool thing about Terra, is that it actually, they have more than one uh, stable coin. So they have one that is tied to the US dollar, but then they have ones that are tied to South Korean currencies, to euros, to stuff like that. And they keep adding other stable coins. So that's a pretty cool feature. Mm -hmm. Uh, So their idea here is they want to combine the price stability of a fiat currency with the censorship resistance of crypto. That's kind of their mission. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, Terra was founded in 2018 and it launched in 2019. And it was created by two guys, uh, Daniel Shin and Do Kwan. And prior to starting Terra, they had both co-founded a 
company called Ticket Monster, which apparently is this really big South Korean e-commerce platform. And then after they made that company, they also went into venture capital. So they've built very large enterprise style companies before in e-commerce. So they have that experience going for them. And they're also familiar with venture capital. So that's also a plus. In terms of investors, there are a lot of investors, so I'm not going to name them all. There are 31 <laughs> different investment groups that have invested in Terra. Two big ones. One is called Pantera Capital, which you might have heard of. Yeah. And then the other one you also might have heard of is called Binance. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Binance, one of the biggest crypto exchanges in the world. Yeah. So a lot of really big investors are behind Terra. So what is the advantage of Terra compared to other stable coins? The unique advantage of Terra is that it actually uses an algorithm to stay pegged to the US dollar. And it does its algorithm magic in a very interesting way. It stays pegged to the US dollar by adjusting the circulating, su circulating supply of Luna. Hmm. Meaning. Okay. When it needs to make an adjustment, say Terra is going to, you know, instead of one US dollar, it's going to like 99 cents and they need to fix that. They will actually incentivize all the people who hold Luna to swap their Luna for stable coins at a profitable exchange rate. So they're like, hey, give up some of your Luna and we will give you, you know, a little extra in exchange for giving up your Luna. And then that Luna is burned. So that's how they're changing the circulating supply. They are either burning Luna or adding more Luna to the supply to maintain that uh, mm. ratio. Interesting. That sounds like a, uh, it's, it's got to happen, you know, pretty quick and at a pretty high volume to keep that stabilization and keep that, that pegging that they do. And so, what happens if people are like aren't really receptive at a time and it starts to slip obviously a little bit it doesn't really matter but the idea is it's supposed to be stable yeah yeah so that can happen it can slip but so far it hasn't really been slipping uh very largely other than this one instance that i'll talk about in a second here um but the idea here is that all of this is how happening algorithmically mm -hmm. meaning there are people who have staked their luna already uh, and so they, they're saying like, Hey, if you're going to give me a better price than what I, than what this is worth, go ahead and do that. And so that's how it's keeping it, keeping up with the changing circulating supply and demand so quickly as everything is being done by smart contract algorithms, computers. So if I'm staking, do I have to like agree to, um, swap when that opportunity comes? Does it happen in real time? Is it something that, how does that work? I'm not 100% sure, but that is how I understand it. So don't quote me on that, but that is how I understand it is if you hold Luna, then you are basically saying, you know, give me better value than what this Luna is worth. And that's what they do. Okay, cool. So very interesting kind of way of keeping an economy stable. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're not, you're, you're literally like, minute by minute, hour by hour, burning tokens, creating more tokens, burning tokens, creating more tokens, which is pretty bonkers. Imagine if the US government did 
did that. I mean, that's what they effectively do. I mean, that's what, how monetary policy works is you know, tightening and increasing the money supply based on lending to banks at different rates. They do, but they do it so much slower, right? Like they're not doing it like second by second. Yeah, anymore. right. Exactly. Yeah. It takes a little more time, but uh, yeah. So they basically just, they're doing the job of a central bank just in, um, you know, in, in a way shorter amount of time and also without, um, you know, human interference or human interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Now here is the flaw in this system. So the value of Luna can decrease if their stable coin, which is called UST, is perceived to be unstable. So if people lose confidence in Luna, then bad things can happen. And so the stable coin, US Terra, briefly lost its peg to the dollar after that wormhole attack, which we discussed, I believe, like episode three or four. Um, right. When right. the wormhole attack happened, all of a sudden there was a big price crash for Luna because it lost its peg and people started freaking out. Yeah. I mean, it's, once again, it's kind of the same thing that happens when um, the value of a, a country's currency starts to become perceived as not valuable. You have a run on the banks. All of a sudden there's hyperinflation. Um, this, this happened um, in Germany in between World War I and World War II during the, the, the Weimar Republic. Uh, there was so much hyperinflation that people were literally using money as wallpaper because it was so worth it. <laughs> There's pictures of people pushing wheelbarrows of money to go buy yeah. bread. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, these things have real world consequences. And it sounds like they had one of those issues. Yeah. Yeah. It always blows my mind how people are so confident that they can maintain this kind of micro economy. You have to be very, very smart as like an engineer as an yeah. economist to be oh, able man. to pull this off. So the fact that they've pulled it off on such a consistent basis, like I give them a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, if you think about what it takes to, um, you know, run the, the money supply for a small country, you know what I mean? That's basically what they're doing. I mean, obviously on a smaller scale, but yeah, that takes a lot of, uh, a lot of chutzpah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so far, Terra has been going pretty well other than that one wormhole attack. So... Uh, credit to them. In terms of community, they've already established a number of partnerships with payment pla platforms. So the <laughs> idea here is instead of you transacting in whatever your fiat currency is in your country, you would use Terra instead. And so they're particularly uh, popular in terms of partnerships in Southeast Asia. So that is where Terra has a good strong foothold. And they actually recently created a partnership with a major league baseball team interesting yes they are yeah they are partnering with the washington nationals mm. and this is a 40 million dollar partnership where the lounge at this um stadium is going to be called like the De the terra club they're going to have their logo all over the place essentially similar to how crypto.com took over staple center mm -hmm. Uh, they're kind of doing a similar thing and it should bring a lot more people into the ecosystem because apparently the median income of people who have season tickets to the Washington Nationals is $125,000. So not surprised. It's, uh, it's, it's the beltway, man. You know, there's a, a lot of, uh, a lot of lobbyists, a lot of politicians, a lot of lawyers who exactly. all uh, afford to, uh, you know, throw some money around. Yeah. So they are, they are at the intersection of baseball, 
lobbyists, <laughs> Washington, D.C. <laughs> Good place to be. Uh, not, that sounds like my worst nightmare. I mean, not not the baseball part. I'm not a huge baseball fan, but just everything else sounds like a, not, the, not the place I want to be. Yeah, yeah. So that is uh, one side of the community. The other side of the community, and this is what I think is really important, is actually the tokenomics. So when you're talking about a stable coin, you want to see that people are using it in order to have confidence in it. So in terms of market cap, it is at $30 billion. Not bad. That is like a small country economy, right? Yeah. Uh, Market rank number eight. Yeah, I knew they were in the top 10. Yeah, so so pretty big. Uh, in terms of circulating supply, 345 million. Uh, total supply is 729 million. And they do not have a max supply because they do change uh, the supply. Yeah, system. yeah. Yeah, so uh, all-time high price was 12 cents. Or sorry, <laughs> all-time low price was 12 cents. <laughs> All-time high price was $119, and then the current price is $89. Yeah, that's an expensive uh, token. Yeah. So question for you, Brian, have you used any stable coins? Um, Yes, I have. Uh, When I was really active on Coinbase, I moved some money around into some stable coins for the same reason you discussed, is just having some some uh, funds ready to deploy when you want to buy something and um yeah don't have it anymore i must have bought something with it but yeah yeah i feel like stable coins will have a really big role to play in the future when all of us are transacting globally and we don't want to keep you know exchanging our money for different types of money because one thing that has been really annoying is if i'm purchasing anything from overseas I always have to exchange my U.S. dollars into euros, mm. and then there's always fees on that, and I'm always getting ripped off by that. Or when I'm sending money to my family back in Bulgaria, a bunch of fees on both sides. So like my U.S. bank takes a fee, and then mm. when it gets to Bulgaria, the Bulgarian banks are like, "Hey, we're gonna take a fee as well." And there's, is yeah, taking- there, there's nothing left. All, all my aunt can buy is a little baklava. Yeah, you know, and also we talked about this, uh, I think it was last week and how some of these bigger projects are actually using uh, stable coins as a way to to keep staking uh, stable. Mm. Um, What what project were you talking about who was creating a stable coin? Um, Remember that conversation we had? I don't remember that conversation we had. Okay. But I'm sure. We'll review the show notes. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure our listeners will chime in. in yes. The, uh, question yes, section. Jog our yeah. memories, listeners. The other way that you can use Terra and actually make uh, good use of this to earn you more money is you can stake it. And one of the best places to stake it is in a Gemini, a Binance, or a BlockFi. So I used to, and to some degree, I still do stake a little bit of money in BlockFi and for stable coins, they usually give you eight to 9% interest rate. Mm. So while I'm waiting to deploy my funds to buy my next Gary V NFT, or I'm waiting to buy, you know, some crypto, I usually park it in BlockFi. So at least it's making me money while I'm trying to figure out my PTAC. PTAC and it, and so BlockFi, um, 
do you, you use your hot wallet with them, right? You just connect your hot wallet and then you just go straight into Blockify? Yeah, so I usually just transfer money directly from my bank to BlockFi. So <laughs> I will, it's linked to my Wells Fargo. I will literally transfer over some money from Wells Fargo into BlockFi and it automatically converts it into a stable coin and it automatically stakes it for me. So I don't have to do anything. It just does it. And um, 9%. I have, what was that? You get, and then you get 9%? Yeah, between eight and 9%. So mm -hmm. it fluctuates. So they will send you an email. Usually it's every couple months they say hey we're adjusting our rate to eight percent then a couple months later they say hey we're adjusting our rate back up to nine percent so it depends on what the economy is doing and how much people are staking so it fluctuates usually between eight and nine percent one time it hit like nine and a half percent that got me very excited <laughs> yeah so you go to their site and you can just look at the money that you have uh, staked with them and you can just see the uh the growth happening in real time well yeah. not real time but you know what i mean like Exactly. It, it happens day by day. So every single day it is, uh, you know, compounding. So if I stake, you know, a thousand bucks in there, then after uh, a year, I will have uh, over a hundred dollars because it's compounding daily. So it'll, I forget what the number is, like 130, yeah. something like that. And it's nice to see your uh, money growing. I also yeah. think about this as offsetting my subscriptions to my like tv so if i'm paying for netflix and disney and hulu and all that and it costs me 40 dollars a month i try and stake that amount in BlockFi so that it offsets 40 dollars a month in income and i'm like ah free netflix there we go <laughs> yeah you know what man i paid for netflix for a while and i just got tired of they're just they're same old content it's just nothing changing i'm like i'm not paying for this I don't know. And have you watched the Have you watched the Tinder Swindler? I did see that. That is a good show, worth watching on Netflix. And then the other one is called Heist, also a very good show on Netflix. Yeah, it's Heist. I saw the Tinder Swindler. Um, that guy's still out there swindling too, which is pretty. Yeah, crazy. he's still swindling. Still swindling after yeah. all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, have you yeah. watched Heist? No, is that a is that a, a documentary or is it like a, a live action show? It, it's like a little mini series. So it's it's documentary, um, but it's reenacted. So it's someone telling the story of what happened, and then they have actors reenacting the story. So it's pretty immersive. But one of the heists, because it's a series, one of the heists I think you would really enjoy watching. It's about a whiskey heist in Bourbon Country, Ooh. and it was just bonkers bonkers story i won't spoil it here about that. yeah was that maker's mark that got ripped off i uh it was not maker's mark it was another one it was uh pappy van winkle Papa, oh right 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 yes because they had that pappy van winkle reserve that was worth tons and tons of money yeah yeah so i won't spoil it here but that is what i recommend for our listeners if you're interested in whiskey heists and i am that's your thing so awesome brian well it has been a pleasure. Remember, guys, if you want to get your questions answered or if you have any questions just about this show in general, you can always write to us at questions at cryptosafari.us and we will be happy to answer them. Yeah. Any questions you have, it could be about crypto, it could be about life in general. Could be about Netflix shows. Could be about uh, applying PTAC to your grocery shopping process. Exactly. Speaking of which, I should go PTAC my groceries. <laughs> You do that, man. See you next time.
Thank you.